From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired, this is A Sense of Texas. Here's your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman, and this is our first live attempt at uh, our podcast, which we've never done anything like this before. And so I'm super grateful for you all for tuning in and also to our guest, Bruce McClanahan. Bruce, thanks for being here. You're welcome. So Bruce and I work together in Washington State. Um, however, he has spent a lot of time presenting in the state of Texas. So uh, he's more of a national figure than he is based out of one state. At least that's what I argue. So I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with Bruce. So I'm excited to bring him uh, to us today. So Bruce, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and just share a little bit about your background. Well, I'm an assistive technology specialist at the Washington State School for the Blind. I'm a teacher of the visually impaired. I got my degree from University of Arizona, and I'm also O&M from San Francisco State. Now, I know you didn't get started at the Washington State School for the Blind, so where did you, how did you become a TVI? Like, how did you enter our field? Well, I decided I wanted to get trained. I had a bachelor at that time, so I went to the University of Arizona and I got my master's in vision there. And that's how I got in the field. Your first school you worked at, it wasn't Washington State, right? I was I was a teacher for seven and a half years at the in Iowa at Marshalltown. I started in January. I figure that that's been so helpful all these years that before I was an assistive technology specialist, I was a TVI. So I, I did that job for all those years. And then how did you end up in Washington? Uh, the superintendent was in Iowa at that time too, and he basically hired me. I was doing tech at that time, and there wasn't much tech at that time, but that's how I moved to Washington. So what year was that? What year was that? when you 87. Came to 87. And, and when you came out to Washington at that time, was your job fully a tech job? Was there an understanding? That um, that was I was half tech and half O&M. Okay. Wow. And gradually the O&M became, gradually the tech took over in a couple years. Do you think a lot of schools for the blind were, or anyone working with our students were incorporating a lot of technology at that time, or was it really new for our field? Well, of course, Texas always was. Texas at that time was getting involved in tech. I met Cecilia Robinson probably 25 years ago, and she was maybe 30 years. Uh, so she was very involved in tech at ESC4. So yeah, the Texas school, the California school, the, the ones that are now, they were involved at that time also. And for those that don't know, Cecilia is one of our outreach providers here at TSBVI and uh, also a huge fan of Bruce's, although he may not admit that. Well, it's mutual, yes. <laughs> it's mutual. That's great. So Bruce, when I first met you, I was in the graduate TVI program at Portland State and you were teaching our technology course. And you we're still doing a lot of work with IntelliTools and IntelliKeys, which I feel like got you a lot of national attention for providing lesson plans and ideas for technology for our students. Were there other things you did before that time that were used across the country? The IntelliTools was pretty much the first, and there were about four people at the Texas school at that time who were also very involved with IntelliTools. IntelliTools is kind of a sad story. They were bought out and they were sold and sold and sold again, and that's why they're no longer in the field. I don't know if everyone on the calls really familiar with IntelliTools and I don't even know if I could describe it. What would, how would you describe it? IntelliTools is an early version of the iPad. It's a keyboard that you contextualize. Before they were sold, they were 
thinking of making it a dynamic version. So essentially it would have been an iPad. So it's just basically it's an early iPad. I remember when I started as an itinerant TVI, uh, which was in 2011, uh, I found a lot of those keyboards in closets in districts. And uh, most people didn't really know what they were for, but because of your tech course, I started hoarding them and ended up with about half a dozen at my house. <laughs> but they were a really effective tool for our students, I feel like. They were. I, I see companies like Objective Ed that are doing very similar stuff now. So I, I think technology moves on. Especially these days. Speaking of some of the materials that you created, uh, you've written a lot of extensive manuals and lesson plans for, for JAWS, for example. And if anyone visits your webpage, you know, they'll notice that there's lots of other tech highlighted too. How did you decide to start creating all of these? I mean, they're virtually publications, but you just put them online out there for everyone. So what, what drove that in you to to spend a lot of time on that. Well, that came initially from IntelliTools also. IntelliTools would always say that no one's gonna read our big manuals, or very few people. So they always wanted to make what they called quick start manuals that were 20 or 30 pages that someone might actually read. My manuals I hope to extract and, and keep them short to 20 or 30 pages and someone might actually read that versus the 300 page manual that many of the vendors put out. And I know that uh, as a new TVI, I really appreciated the shortcut lists you made for, for JAWS and keystrokes and things like that, that, um, you know, I, I never, I, I didn't have a student early on that was fully implementing JAWS, but that was super handy when trying to negotiate it um, myself. Do you think, like, what do you think is the most used um, tool that you've published and put out there on your website as far as manuals go? Right now, I think it's Chromevox. Mm. I have Chromevox manuals, Chromevox videos. Chromebooks are currently 80% market share in the state of Washington. So there, I think it's Chromebooks. When Chromebooks became mainstream, there was a lot of concern in our profession about whether or not they'd be accessible for our kids. And you were one of the first people to recognize that they weren't going away. As Chromebooks were moving into schools, a lot of us were saying, no, we got to do iOS because it's built in accessibility. You seemed very aware that some of our kids were going to have to adapt these. So how do you think it's working out now? I mean, it's been a number of years since the Chromebooks have started and how's it working for our kids now? I wish it was working better. Chromevox is essentially a speech-only system. The Braille support needs a lot of help. I've shared that extensively with Google and pointed out lots of things that don't work with the Braille. I think they're gradually making Chromevox better. And my take on this is every screen reader was bad when it first came out. It's no different than any other screen reader. It's pretty much in its infancy right now. So you feel like it's, it's moving in the right direction, but it's just a continuum and they're at the beginning? I think when we look at Chromebooks and look at the extended core, Windows aren't in the public school system anymore. I would think that we should look at teaching Windows sophomore, junior, senior year as part of the core curriculum. It's interesting. I had a conversation a, a couple months ago with Ting, who you know as well from San Francisco State. Sure. And uh, she was sharing that, you know, our students, you know, you talk about teaching Windows in the later years, but she also talked about how our students should start learning technology much earlier on 
um, than they currently are. Uh, have you seen that, that there's a delay for our kids to get access to technology compared to their peers? I would agree with that. I think they should start learning it as soon as they can. And I would think that's incredibly important. Do you see any downside to putting tech in the hands of our kids at the same time as their classmates are getting it or sometimes even a little sooner? No, I think it should be the same time as their classmates. Of course, the problem is that so much of the regular ed curriculum isn't accessible. That's become even more aware now when, when we're trying to use all these online things and they're not designed to be accessible. We didn't talk too much about your current job yet, but at the Washington State School, you provide uh, tech support to teachers all over the state of Washington. And so when it's not a pandemic, you're always on the road, you're going out, they're reaching out to you to ask questions, to provide tech support, ideas for their students. How has that changed in the current environment? Are you getting a lot of questions about accessibility? What has changed, I guess? Unfortunately, I'm answering a lot of things and, and the answer is, oh, that doesn't work. <laughs> As people try, many of the online systems weren't accessible before. Now that it's the only thing we're trying to use, they aren't accessible now. Google Classroom is fairly accessible, and a lot of people are discovering that's a great way to turn in work and access work, but there's just so much that isn't accessible. Do you find that they're needing an increased level of support from home to access what they're being asked to do for school? Well, many of them don't have the right devices. When someone wants to send a braille file and the kid doesn't have an SD or when the parent changes and gets a new Wi-Fi system and you're trying to connect it to a braille display. There was an assistive tech meeting yesterday about all the concerns and there was Richard on it, I think, yesterday who was, his, I think he's in Texas, yeah, uh, who was doing lots of getting Windows machines to work. To work in the homes of the students? Yeah, so as, as they, as the, as you send the laptops out and as they get messed up, he's, he's, He's basically fixing them. You know, you talked a little bit about some of the advocacy that you've done with Google. What's the typing program that you worked with a lot? Typing Club. I, I just totally love Typing Club. Talk a little um, bit about that. Yeah. Well, I send out emails all the time asking people to make their products accessible. And every once in a while, somebody does. Before this, I counted how many things I've made accessible and it's sent out hundreds of emails and I've helped made seven products accessible. Typing Club is very accessible for low vision and for blind. And then they approached me and wanted to make it accessible for deaf and hard of hearing, physically handicapped and students with dyslexia. So it's a very accessible keyboarding program for all students. And the awesome thing about Typing Club is you wouldn't know it. It looks graphic. It looks pretty. It looks like all the other standard keyboarding programs. So you wouldn't even know it's accessible, which says to me that all the other programs could be accessible if they wanted to. It seems like they were really receptive to you early on. Well, I send out these emails and every once in a while somebody responds. The way it worked with them was they sent an email they contacted me back four months after this and said they'd made it accessible. Of course, they totally hadn't, but they didn't bail on me. And we worked on it for six months to a year and they, they made it accessible for all population groups. No vested interest in them, no nothing. But if you Google middle school keyboarding programs, it's just a standard keyboarding program. 
which is awesome, which shows to me that all the other programs could be accessible if they wanted to be. It seems like there's a, a trend that companies are hiring more accessibility specialists. Do you see that to be true, like, that some of the software and even the hardware companies are looking more at that now than maybe they were five years ago? There's the major companies like for, I don't I don't know which ones exactly. I don't want to name names, but I do know that some of the major companies are hiring accessibility specialists. So I am seeing that in business. I'm sure we'd all like to see more folks doing that. You have done a lot of work around students with multiple disabilities, and I think that's an area that's often overlooked from the tech perspective. Why have you been interested in that group of students? Well, it's where I started, and um, my wife has been a teacher for severe and profound kids for 33 years, so she strongly encouraged me also. And and plus, when I travel the state, uh, there are many students who need services for that. Mm-hmm. And I don't see um, I don't see much being made. And what is made is, well, I don't see much being made. I know you have found some solutions for, for those kids. What, what are some of them that have worked for you? Well, there's a few. Switch to scan, a switch interface that has voiceover. That one works very nice. On my website, I have a list of about 30 apps that happen to work. There's three or four companies I individuals actually who made their apps work and it's basically finding stuff that happens to work that which is different than software that was designed to work it would be great if software was created that was designed to work for this population group for example abilabad it's a great program and you can make it work for blind kids, but it wasn't designed. It has a fair amount of clunkiness in it when you're using it with blind kids. For those that might not know, could you explain a little bit how Switch to Scan interfaces with voiceover and how a student can do that independently? Well, Switch to Scan has a voiceover component. So it's a switch interface compared to the applicator, which doesn't have a voiceover component. It was created actually before iOS 7, and they're still selling it because it's used with our population group. Then there's many other different switch interfaces that could be used. The applicator would be one. I believe there's the Bluetooth. There's many different switch interfaces that people could use. But these switch apps, almost all of them are designed for kids who have sight. You can occasionally find a switch app that works, but most of them are designed for kids who have sight. And one of the things I've noticed, and I don't know if it's got a lot better, and using that with students, you know, there's all this, when you have voiceover on, there's all this extra language and it says stuff like next button, next button, and then it reads the button. And It has not gotten better, and that's why it would be great if a, device was designed from scratch for this population group. Maybe APH could do that. (laughs) Actually make a switch interface from scratch for blind kids, uh, if anyone's listening on that. (laughs) I think that's a good idea. Uh, I like it, and why not bring it up here? (laughs) Yeah, I would think a switch interface designed for blind kids, maybe by APH would be just awesome. Well, I know we have a few questions in the chat, so I'm going to throw it to Lowell to see what's come up. We have a question from Brian. Uh, How valuable is it to focus on technology that students will see after school? Call centers and large corporations besides Google aren't going to be using Chromebooks. And then further says he loves Google, but organization-wise, they skipped tech folks and went straight to teachers and non-tech users. How does that affect usability for minority users who need voiceover or switch control or 
et cetera? <laughs> well, I'll answer on that. I think students in their sophomore, junior, and senior years should be learning uh, Windows and a screen reader. You might want to push it back to freshman years, but I would think in the high school years, students should definitely be using the technology that they should see after school. And that's going to be a discussion that I think everyone is going to decide for themselves on that. Yeah, I know there's a lot of concern about preparing our students for employability and post-secondary options. So um, that's a question that that I've been asked as well. And then you know, the second part of his question about Google and uh, had to do with, I believe, that they were just building it for schools and sort of didn't involve the tech support in the middle. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Surprising that the other companies didn't do that first. They were in the field. Why didn't Windows make educational stuff? It's very interesting. They are now. They are definitely trying to do more now. Windows is doing that. What do you think were some of the greatest barriers for our students to, to pick up screen reading um, programs? If you're going to use a screen reader, any screen reader, you're going to need to use the uh, operating system keystrokes, the application system keystrokes, and the screen reader keystrokes. It's going to be complicated no matter which one you use. That's how these work. When people look for other screen readers, it's basically you're using those set of three keystrokes together if someone came up with an, a different paradigm. But every student needs to learn the application, the operating, and the screen reader keystrokes. And it's complicated. I think it takes a lot of training by someone who knows the devices. I don't think there's shortcuts on it. That's definitely a challenge that I've heard from many itinerant providers is that they are asked to teach devices to students, but they don't have access to those devices themselves to learn them or to spend time with them before then providing a lesson plan. Have you seen any ways around that or is that something you've run into as a problem as well? That's a problem. I usually have access to a Braille note taker, so I know it. But the TVI usually does not have access to a Braille note taker. So when you don't have the device in front of you and there's only one and the student has it, that's that's been a problem going back to the Braille and speak. How do you teach it if you don't have your hands on it? If you can hold on to the old ones that aren't useful anymore, for kids and practice with those a little. Yeah, that's a good tip. I mean, I don't think any of us could imagine trying to teach a device that we've never had our hands on ourselves. I mean, that's an impossible ask, it feels like. Yeah, but you have access to screen readers. You can put the demo mode on your own and practice that way, but yeah. not the Braille note taker devices. That's a good tip as well. Yeah, those, those free demo modes are really helpful sometimes. I know we had a couple questions come in. If you could do list the three things again you said that a student's need to learn. The operating system, the application keystrokes, and the screen reader keystrokes. True across any device. Okay. And they're all... They're all kind of meshed together. You mentioned one future project, potentially for APH to put out into the world. What are some other ideas you have that might be beneficial for our students for looking into the future, forward thinking? Well, I would like word prediction for blind kids. I've been suggesting that one forever. If when a student is writing, the list of word prediction choices would show up on the Braille display. So there would be an audio cue and then you would be able to see the word prediction choices and then choose them from a router key. Seems like I'd like to see that somewhere. Is there anywhere that's close to making that happen? Nope. <laughs> <laughs>
Maybe APH could think about that <laughs> with some of their new Braille displays that are coming out, which look pretty nice. Good thing Craig is a good friend of ours, so he won't be offended <laughs> that we keep suggesting APH for product. Well, actually, the, the switch interface by APH would be pretty awesome. That would be pretty great. You go to CSUN every year. I don't. You probably didn't go this year, huh? No, I didn't. In the past, was there some things there that you saw that you were really excited about or that had some potential? Well, the wearables are interesting. You know, the OrCam and devices like that. I would think in five years from now, I think wearables are going to become much more common. Do you see those showing up in schools very often? I've only seen a wearable once. It was quite interesting how it was used. I would think uh, five years from now, though, I would see this taking off. Another suggestion somebody made about learning technology was keeping them during the summer months. Do you see teachers doing that a lot? I see some. I see some who are very involved doing that during the summer. I answer my emails during the summer. I mean, I don't stay tied to the computer during the summer, but I do answer the emails during the summer on that. I just know you as somebody that you always are checking your emails, you're answering your phone, you're you're a very easy to get in touch with. And I know that there's a lot of teachers, especially in Washington State, that have relied on you pretty heavily. What do you think were some of the biggest asks coming from districts across the state. When you went out, what were you doing the most? Whatever the teacher wanted to get working, I viewed it as my role to support all the technology in use in the state with visually impaired kids. Support anything they wanted. That's a pretty big job. <laughs> well, and it helps if you enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's definitely true. I know during this time you've been adding some resources to your webpage. What kind of stuff have you been working on for the rest of us? Well, people might be surprised. I have videos now. Oh, of so if you? If you go out there, if you go out to the webpage, you'll see there's videos on how to use the Chromebook and Chromebox. Eventually, these videos will be in integrated directly into the manual so that when you're reading a portion, you could click on it and see a video about what this is about. So I think I have 10 or 11 videos on how to use the Chromebook and Chromebox. How do you film them? What technology are you using to demonstrate um, how to I'm use capturing it? my screen with Screencastify. I'm not vi videoing me, I'm just videoing what the screen does and the screen reader. And then describing it along the way? Uh, describing it and then um, Mike faced at the blind school is annotating everything. Is there anything else you want to share today or, or add as you think about considerations for our students? No, I'm just happy all this, all the tech seemed to work. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we never know. The outreach team here has been doing a lot of tech presentations in their coffee hours, and many of you have logged into that, so we definitely appreciate it. But uh, this is my first time actually sitting down and doing something live with an audience. I've been lucky to stay behind the scenes, <laughs> so I... Mm -hmm. I I appreciate you trying it. Oh, it looks like another question came in. We have an individual who's trying to branch out with tutorial YouTube videos and podcasts to help parents and students learn technology. Do you have any tips or tricks to share on that? Well, I like Screencastify. You can capture your screen and you can share what you want to show to the, to the individuals. It runs in Chrome, but I like Screencastify. I've never used that one, so I'll, I'll have to check it out. Somebody asked about Loom. I'm not familiar with that one. Casey Bennett, one of our outreach providers, is saying that she uses it too, and, and uh, it's easy to add interpreting to. So okay. That's a good tip as well. All right. I think we're good. We got a lot of content in here today, Bruce. So, okay, so well. Thank you for taking the time on a Friday in June. I know you guys have a couple weeks of school left, don't you? We do, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, we are, we finished last week. So we have a lot of our teachers in Texas are already on their summer vacations and probably much deserved during this time. I think it's very much deserved. <laughs> and we did put your website in the chat for resources. And uh, when we post the podcast on our podcast page, we'll be sure to include the links there as well so people can access them. Okay. All right. So from the TSVVI Outreach Department and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. Thanks for joining us. Be safe and be well, and we will see you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.